This is the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. Make yourself comfortable and fasten your seatbelt. Tom and his guests are about to share powerful stories, trade business building insights, and have a few laughs. Tom created this podcast to help you captivate prospects and inspire them to act so you can get more clients quickly and easily. That's what powerful storytelling is all about. That's what this podcast is all about. So let's get this party started. Here's your host, Tom Ruich. Hello and welcome to the Story Power Marketing Show. My name is Tom Ruich and today's episode is called How Visual Thinking Makes You a Better Marketer and Leader. As always, I'll kick off this episode with a story. I was talking with a client recently about the importance of providing a guarantee or some other form of risk mitigation to help complete the sale. I said, a lot of times a prospect will be on the five-yard line when they begin to hesitate. They begin to worry whether they're making the right decision, a guarantee or some other risk mitigating offer, such as no long-term contracts, can help to get them over the goal line. There was a long pause, and then she said, I don't know what you mean by the five-yard line. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Looks like I'd used a metaphor that was clear as mud. My client, bless her heart, doesn't know a thing about football, so my references about the five-yard line fell flat. And that, dear listeners, is a case of visual thinking gone wrong metaphors such as the one I used about the five-yard line, which, by the way, if you don't know the references, is the the place very near scoring, five yards away from the, uh, from the goal line, from scoring, from completing the journey. Uh, m- most people know the metaphor, but many don't. And so metaphors such as the one I used about the five-yard line can create a powerful image in the mind's eye for those who know, but when a metaphor misses the mark, it has the power to confuse and to derail a conversation. And that's what happened with my prospect and me. So how do you make sure you're using metaphors and other forms of visual thinking to clarify and not to confuse? Well, that's one of the questions I'm going to discuss today with our guest, Todd Churches. Todd Churches is the CEO and co-founder of Big Blue Gumball, an innovative New York City-based leadership development and executive coaching firm. He's a member of Marshall Goldsmith's MG100 Coaches and is a founding partner of the Global Institute for Thought Leadership, GIFT. Todd was just recently nominated by Thinkers50 as a finalist for their 2021 Distinguished Achievement Award for Leadership. And he is ranked number 37 on the 2021 Thinkers 360 list of the top 50 global thought leaders and influencers in the field of management. Todd is a three-time award-winning adjunct professor of leadership at New York University, as well as a lecturer on leadership at Columbia University. He is also a TEDx speaker on the power of visual thinking. 
which I recommended in the January 17, 2022 edition of my Monday Mashup email. Todd is the author of the groundbreaking book, Visual Leadership, Leveraging the Power of Visual Thinking in Leadership and in Life, which was published by Post Hill Press, Simon & Schuster. Todd Churches, welcome to the Story Power Marketing Show. Thank you, Simon. It's great being with you. I always enjoy your Monday mashups. Great way to start the week. Ah, thank you for that. And I have enjoyed your TED Talk and your book. I am plowing through your book, uh, which is sitting at the top of my stack of books on on my uh, night table. And speaking of of stack of books, um, I saw a post that you put out recently about the, the books that you read in 2021. How many books did you read in 2021? Well, I actually read 101 books. I was going to try to read 121 for 21, and then I ran out of steam and ran out of time. But typically, well, I'm a business book addict, and I started getting hooked on business books back in 1998, not to give away my age, And I, because I was working for the American Management Association, revamping their mini MBA programs. I needed to get familiarized with management leadership. I got so hooked because of all the horrible bosses I had had in my life. And it was like, it was so eye-opening to say, hey, managing and leading is like an art, a science, something you could actually learn as opposed to just being a tyrant and a dictator. So I got hooked. I just kept reading books on management, leadership, communication, marketing. Um, And so I was averaging like one a week, which is 50 a year over 23 years. You add those up and it's over 1,100 business books that I've read since I got uh, started this compulsion. In fact, I know you're big on story. I was just going through, I'm doing a session on storytelling. This is my stack of books related to storytelling that I'm currently reviewing. So, um, (laughs) so, so. Oh, there was the, there it was right there in the pile. That and, is the classic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, so leadership management and leadership and your book, visual leadership. What do we mean by visual leadership? Sure. Well, first of all, the, the title of the book is a single word with a single shared capital visual. L. Yeah. And and what's interesting is right. so many people don't even notice that or see it, and they just yeah. spell it as two words as you would normally spell it. And that just you know, exemplifies what we're talking about, the things that we notice, that we see, that we don't see, that we miss, things right before our eyes. It's like, oh, I never, I've, I've looked at your book cover a hundred times. And I've never noticed that before. So yeah. but the concept behind visual leadership is that the foundational concept is that who you are and how you lead is inseparable from the lens through which you see the world, right? Yeah. So your upbringing, your, your value systems, your parents, your schooling, your culture, your life experiences all shape what you see, but also what you miss. So that's one end looking backwards. Also, when we talk about leadership, the word vision always comes up as a, you know, so-and-so is a leadership visionary, like a Martin Luther King Jr. or Elon Musk or or a Branson or someone like that. Or you say, all right, so, you know, what is your leadership vision? What is your vision of the future? And what is a vision? It's a picture in our mind's eye. And the term mind's eye was coined by Shakespeare in Hamlet when he thought, when he saw the ghost of his father. And he didn't know if it was an apparition or a figment of his imagination. He said, I think I see my father in my mind's eye. We have an idea in our mind's eye, but how do we get that idea into other people's heads so that they can see what we're saying? And that's one of my mantras, just to hold this up for those who may be watching. Um, You need to frame an idea and get other people to see what you're saying. And that's one of the biggest challenges in 
business and in life, and especially for marketers, how do you get your ideas across so that other people know what you're talking about and are influenced by you? So um, yeah, and and you were talking a moment about storytelling and and me and story power marketing. I say it all the time when I'm working with my clients and members of my coaching program that the the best content that you can put out there is content that evokes a vision that that people can picture what you're talking about the typical lecture and treatise that people put out it's very important to delegate blah 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 right. blah blah no no mind's eye thing going on yeah, whereas yeah. if you tell a story or draw in metaphors or all of those sorts of things now all of a sudden people can relate and remember because you're you're putting that vision in their mind. So I, I think in your model, there are, are four elements of this. Let's, let's walk through those, Todd. Sure. I break it down to four ways to think and communicate more visually. So the first way is through use of visual imagery and or drawing, right? So that's something you could see in through your eyes. So if I'm talking about, here's some real life example. If I'm talking about, you know, what are you curious? I'm curious about something, Tom, and I hold up Curious George, for those who may be <laughs> yeah. listening and not watching. We all know Curious George from our childhood, or we in America do. You were just talking about how metaphors don't always cross cultural lines, neither do cultural references. So with my right. students at NYU, many of them from China, my Seinfeld references go right past them. So that <laughs> does not work. So we need to speak the language of our listeners, as, as yeah. we know. I once said I, I once said something and there was no response. I said, it sounds like Simon, it sounds like sound of silence in here. So does everyone know that song? By Simon Garfunkel. And they thought Simon Garfunkel was a law firm or a consulting firm. There was no name recognition at all. So we need that's, so that's one of the things we need to think about is the, our references, whether metaphorical or our stories, need to resonate with our audience, right? So whether you're right. a leader, a marketer. Um, if I hold up Gumby, that's about flexibility, right? You know, bending over backwards to serve our clients. So we don't always have to um, use PowerPoint. We don't always have to draw. Some, uh, many of us suffer from ICD, which is I can't draw syndrome, right? But I always say, if you could pick up a pen and play Pictionary with your friends or family, you could draw well enough to communicate an idea visually. In fact, one of my articles for Inc. Magazine is called, Can You Draw What Your Company Does? And it's a really interesting exercise I do with clients. Um, I get them to illustrate, and it could be something literal like a, a storyboard or a mind map, but it could also be a metaphor in pictures and, and analogies. So, yeah. um, so that's category one which is using imagery and or pictures and drawing or props, right? Something you can take in through your eye. Yeah. Category two is using models and frameworks. So like a company's org chart as a model, a four box matrix, a staircase. You know, we have all kinds of uh, models and frameworks and thinking outside the box is a cliche, but you can't really think outside the box until you have something inside the box. And if we put things into categories or, or boxes or frames, it enables us to simplify the complexity and the messiness of what we're dealing with so we can see things more clearly and then see solutions that maybe we might not have seen otherwise. So that's category two. Category three is use of metaphor and analogy, which you talked about, right? We need to talk about metaphors and analogies that simplify. They make the unfamiliar familiar, the abstract concrete. They make the invisible visible. So the power of metaphors is not just for poets and songwriters, but it's for all of us. And most people don't even realize how often we use metaphors. We just, you know, that's the tip of and what I, the examples I gave you is just the tip of the iceberg. So I'll leave it at that. And which is a metaphor, which is a metaphor, by the way. It is exactly tip right. of the iceberg. Yeah. It is exactly right. So <laughs> and the tip and the iceberg represents, and I have a picture of an iceberg that I keep on my desk all the time. The iceberg represents what we see and know versus what we don't, right? So if someone's an overnight success. We don't see the 30 years of 
struggling and failure that went into it. When we first meet someone, your first impression is just the tip of the iceberg. So we use this all the time. And it's a great way to frame things so that we can you know, realize that. Otherwise, we may not realize that. And category four is the category that we really connect over, which is storytelling with bonus points for humor if and when appropriate. So because yeah. humor resonates when people are happy, smiling or laughing, um, then uh, they are engaged and, and they're more likely to remember. And I talk in my TED talk about three reasons all of these things work. And it, I, it, they rhyme attention, comprehension and retention. So when you right. use visual imagery or visual language, it cap gets people to focus, increases understanding and helps them to remember. So that's my mini lecture on uh, the four ways to think and communicate more visually. Yeah. And it, and it, it's powerful that the the three points that you make at the end in ultimately it's being it, you're using this in the service of making human connection exactly. making helping people connect with what you're putting forward and that is invaluable whether you're doing it in the context of leadership connecting with employees moving a team it's invaluable whether you're trying to market a product or service. And, and what I, I really love about the model is especially the third and fourth point, metaphor and storytelling. What you're talking about here isn't just about drawing. And yes, I agree with you. All of us can draw all resort to stick figures, but I can communicate a point with drawing yeah. I can make the models and build the boxes and and demonstrate with with uh, those sorts of things. And those are the those are what we think of as visual. Mm -hmm. But what really fascinates me and what I appreciate so much about what you bring to the conversation is that on the same plane, we've got this idea of creating metaphors. We've got this idea of bringing story into it. And that's written word, spoken word. Those, you know, that we're, we're not involving the, the eye literally. We're involving the mind's eye. And that's such an important concept. And I'd love you to elaborate a little bit uh, about how we can harness this power of visual communication when we're writing or when we're talking. Yeah, through, uh, through an audio podcast, right? If someone's listening to this, they're pict hopefully picturing a lot. Of, like I mentioned, Curious George. So even if you're not seeing it on with your physical eye, hopefully you'll see, you're seeing it with your mind's eye, right? If you know what yeah. that character looks like. But that's, you know, that's a great astute observation is that the first two are more visible to the physical eye. And those are things that we produce and create. The last two are more visible to the ear. And a lot of times mm -hmm. people, just, a, just that phrase is like, what do you mean visible to the ear? Because someone that once said to me, what about people who are blind or have um, or you know sight issues? Does this apply to them? And I said yes. I said we create imagery all the time through our language, through poetry, through song lyrics, right? So um, this is not exclusive exclusive in any way. It's actually more inclusive if we realize that if someone has difficulty seeing, or you're talking to someone over the phone versus over Zoom, like you can't show someone something. You know, show me the money, right? That cat that right. you know, from Jerry Maguire. Um, that wasn't a Zoom call. That was a phone call, right? Uh, so it's like, show me the money is a metaphor. It wasn't like physically, let me see the, the dollar bills. It's like, show, get, you know, show me where this money is coming from. So we use this language all the time. So I think that's the key concept here is we already do this. But if we think about it, we're more aware. And then we can be more strategic and intentional about doing it better, right? Because yeah. we see it done really poorly a lot of times. Bad logos, bad design, 
uh, cluttered PowerPoint slides. And then with storytelling, some stories are too detailed, some are not detailed enough. Some, right. um, you know, uh, so many times leaders try, and marketers also, um, try to influence through data, through statistics. Um, mm -hmm. Numbers don't motivate people. It's the context and it's the story behind the numbers, right? So one example I always use, I'll say, if I have a 250 average, is that good or bad? What would you say? Oh, uh, um, yeah, we're baseball people. 250 average is, is average. Right, but what if I was talking bowling? There you go, yeah. Right? So yeah. the number 250 is meaningless without the context, right? So if it's baseball right. or my softball batting average, it's not very good. If bowling, I'm ready for the pro bowlers tour, right? So that's the thing. One of the um, chapters in my book is called How My Cardiologist Almost Gave Me a Heart Attack. I don't know if you got up to that chapter yet. <laughs> but I went to the cardiologist, as those of us over 50 do, for a routine exam. And the cardiologist came in, and he was a new one. I, my regular one wasn't in that day to give me my results. And he said, based on your numbers today, you have a 5% chance of having a heart attack within the next 10 years. I almost went weak and passed out and hit my head on the table and died. But I, then I said, wait, wait a minute. Doesn't that mean that I have a 95% chance that I won't? And he said, yeah, that's another way of looking at it. I'm like, yeah, you think so? So <laughs> the number, so the, the information he gave me, was it wrong? No, but it was, the, was it the message he intended to communicate? Not at all, because those results were totally normal and, and typical for someone of my age. So that's the thing. How do we frame our information and our numbers in a way that resonates with our audience? That's the ultimate marketing and leadership challenge, right? Yeah, yeah. You said something really important in in the course of that. You 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 said that you need to be strategic and deliberate about yeah. bringing the visual thinking into what you do. And I I want you to talk in a moment about what some of those strategies and and tactics may be to help those who who aren't sure how to do it. But but I also want to note something from my own experience that that's really. Uh, encouraging and hopeful you know we all have this experience you you go out and you buy the red chevrolet and all of a sudden you notice right. the red chevrolets all over the all over the streets and this phenomenon applies to this as well that that when you get over the hump of um of building sort of the strategic and deliberate practice of bringing this in of bringing visual thinking into your work, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you just start to notice things. Yeah. You're, you don't you don't have to to consistently be consciously worrying and thinking about it. In my experience, after I began to be deliberate and strategic about seeking the the right metaphor, bringing the right story, the metaphors and the stories begin to appear. And I'm wondering if that's a phenomenon that you experience um, and and how what we can offer in just the few minutes that we have together to help people understand the strategies and the tactics to get started and have the hope that they they don't have to constantly be walking around with this sense of, oh, I, I got to think up the metaphors. I got to start right, right. thinking about the stories. Um, is is that a, a phenomenon that you've experienced? Yeah, definitely. There's a quote by Th uh, Thoreau where he says, it's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see, right? Yeah. So we all, we two people, 10 people, 100 people can all look at the same thing or watch the same movie or listen to the same song, but you hear different things because you it's filtered through your paradigms. It's filtered through your life experiences and frames of reference. So that's a big 
challenge. Like I've heard all kinds of examples of like a company coming up with like a, a product or service or an ad campaign. And they say, this is it. And they present it to like a focus group or whatever. And the feedback from the focus group is something d different, but the company is just blind to it because that's not what they see. But it's like, who's right. your consumer? Who are you trying to appeal to? If your company is saying, hey, we could do this or repurpose this, or this would be better. We need to be open to that. So um, in terms of the notice thing, I, it's actually a, 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 um, a, a principle called seeing red cars. And I actually use this exercise with my NYU students. I'll put up a picture of like an LA freeway. I'll write down as many things as you can see in 60 seconds. And I'll turn the image off and I'll say, how many red cars were there? And they'd be like, I have no idea. I said, well, why is that? Because that's what I wanted to know. And they said, well, you didn't tell us that's what we were supposed to be looking for, right? right? So then I put it back up and they said now, and they're like, okay, eight, or I count 10 and they're close. But if you're not looking for something, you're not going to notice it unless it's intentional. And so that's one principle is that we, we like with the red car, once you have one or if you're looking for it, you'll start seeing it because before, who cares? Now, all of right. a sudden- you care. So how do you get your consumer, your customers to care so that they notice your ads, that they you're on their radar? And another principle that I talk about, it's called um, seeing the Yankee hat. So I went to spring training one year and uh, it was for my 50th birthday, actually a number of years ago, and I got this Yankee hat and then it was on my dresser, right front and center. And around three or four months later, I was looking all over the hat, house for the, my Yankee hat. And I said to my wife, have you seen my Yankee hat? And she's like, it's where it always is, right on your dresser. And it was right there. Now I had gotten it at spring training, I put it there, but what happened? I saw it every single day. It was actually one of the first things I saw, but I stopped seeing it because it just became part of the landscape. And when I was looking for it, I couldn't find it, right? So how often does that happen? Um, things that are right in front of our eyes that we haven't thought about in a long time. So when we talk about looking, seeing, noticing, it's just about awareness, right? And, and as marketers, how do we make people aware and get them to notice what we want them and need them to notice, right? Yeah, so, that's a fundamental yeah. question. And, and how do we as marketers begin to harness this power? What are some tips that you can offer to help the marketer, you know, bring those metaphors into, into their work? Uh, use visual, the, 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 first, uh, uh, the first part of the framework, the drawings and so forth. How, where do we start? How do we yeah. turn this framework into, into real work that does the real jobs that we want it to do? Yeah. Well, one tip is the hardest part to come up with something is when you're trying to come up with something, right? Yeah. So we need catalysts or stimuli to trigger ideas. So things by you, like using props, or you can, there's an exercise where you pick up a book off, a random book off a shelf and open the page and skim it and see if any of the words on the page trigger an idea. Um, I once was teaching a leadership, leading innovation program in New York and actually got everyone up and we walked down the block to, to a Barnes and Noble when there were Barnes and Nobles on our, almost every block. And I had everyone in the class buy a magazine that was outside of your industry, something that you would never have picked up before. So this big burly construction guy got Bride magazine and this woman in fashion got Guns and Ammo, which was she was against. So it was like all of a sudden, and I said, open the magazine and see if you can find one or two ideas that are not to use the pun, but triggered by something in the magazine. And they came up with hundreds of ideas because mm -hmm. they're so used to looking at the same thing everyone else in their industry is looking at, but go outside your industry, go on what I call a Google field trip, right? Go on Google, look something up, but instead of staying on a course, just click random links and see, click at 10, 10 different links and see where it takes you. Like, and I call it a Google's field trip or scavenger hunt. So there's things like that that we can do. Um, Another thing, I think you've mentioned this in one of your mashups, um, keep a journal, 
You know, the best the ideas come to us when we're not trying to think of them in the shower, on the treadmill, walking the dog. So what you know, speak it into the recorder on your phone if you need to, but capture that idea when it's fresh in your mind. Like from, when I sat down to write my book, which was like 10 years in the making, I had 2000 pages of content and models and, and stories accumulated that I went through. So I didn't sit down, look at a blank page or a blank screen. I had all this content. So similarly, capture your stories when you think about your, your clients and in real time. And then when you need them, you can go back to them. So this is a few tips yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah, that's a great tip. And and you notice, or excuse me, you you mentioned that the ideas will come to you, you know, when you're walking the dog, when you're mm-hmm. in the shower, <clears throat> pardon me, and so forth. And And I think the key is to notice when the idea comes to you and to have some tools and systems in place to capture them when they do. Don't get all tense and and, and hung up on, I got to think up the ideas now, but they will come to you, which leads me to a thank you that I have for you because you told Jurgen Strauss on his uh, podcast about the innovation tool that that you've enjoyed most in 2021? I think that was the, the basic question. Mm-hmm. And do you remember what you told him? Uh, was it Aquanotes? Notepad? It was Aquanotes. Okay, and I so heard that. And, right. and, and I went out and I bought some Aquanotes and I installed them in my shower. Aquanotes are waterproof, waterproof notepad. Uh, with a little pencil that you you and suction you, cups comes with the suction uh, cup. suction cup to the wall of your your shower and there is the notepad in your shower because I could relate 100% to what you said that uh, the idea comes in you lose it by the time you're out of the shower and it's frustrating you know that you that something was in your head and you yeah. just don't remember it and so yeah. that notepad is up in my uh, in my shower I. When my wife got home from work yesterday, it just arrived yesterday. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. When, when when my wife got home from work yesterday, I said, "I just made an awesome home improvement today. You have 24 hours to guess what it is." <laughs> and the hint, and the hint is, you probably won't figure it out until tomorrow morning. Mm. And then after she got out of the shower this morning, I I said, "Hey, have you figured it out?" And and she didn't. She didn't figure it out, even though that notepad was wow. very visible, which is sort and of isn't that a great point. example. Of what we were just talking about things right yeah. in front of us that we don't notice. I should get yeah. a commission from them because I mention them so often, but I get no plugs. Um, you know, um, but they really. Um, yeah. The, one of their, their motto is don't let a good idea go down the drain, which is a great, beautiful great model. Beautiful. Uh, and I actually was metaphor, by the way. What's that? Which, metaphor, yes, exactly, exactly. And I, I was interviewed by Crane's New York business a number of years ago, and they took, I have, I, I have a picture of me that was in the magazine, my arm in the shower. I was fully dressed, I had a roll up, but, um, but what's funny is sometimes uh, I, I actually contacted the company and they were like memo pad size, but I asked them, do you have flip chart size? Cause I could do a lot more, get a lot more work done if they were flip charts <laughs> and not just memo pads. So, but sometimes I'll hear my wife knocking on the door saying, are you ever coming out of there? I'm like, I'm working in here. <laughs> So uh, it could get a little addictive and get make your water bills go up. But uh, yeah, it's a great way to capture an idea because the shower is like, there's something about the water and the solitude. I call it a cocoon of, solid, cocoon of solitude in that, in that Crane's yeah. article. Um, yeah. We're kind of like that white, that, that, that effect of uh, the water. But that's where, you know, everyone has different places, but that's where I get my, my best ideas. While we're, while we're on the topic, do you have any other uh, capture the idea tools that would be useful for our audience. 
Yeah, I mean, when it comes to, uh, you know, the stories capture them in journals and things like that. And think of everything as a story. I do a whole thing, I do a whole workshop on leadership storytelling. You're trying to paint a picture with words, right? You're trying to create a movie in the mind's eye. So stories have beginnings, middles, and ends. There are villains, victims, and heroes. There's an, a quest of some kind or a goal. There are obstacles that stand in the way. There's some kind of resolution. So if you always think of yourself as the lead character, the protagonist in the movie of your life, then you start to notice things. You say, who are the supporting characters? What am I trying to achieve? What is standing in my way? So if you frame your life as a story, and as you go through your family photo albums or whatever, or watch home movies or videos, um, you know, there are stories embedded within there. Our job is to pluck them out. So they're right there hiding in plain sight. But that's mm -hmm. the challenge is because somebody I was once doing a workshop for CEOs on leadership storytelling. And one of the CEOs said, oh, I hate storytelling. I'm a terrible storyteller. And I said, well, why do you say that? And he went on to tell this amazing story about one time that he told a story and it bombed. And everyone right. else in the room was like, that was such an amazing story that taught me a lesson on what not to do. But he had elevated storytelling to this, you know, like I'm not Martin Luther King Jr. I'm not like, you know, Steve Jobs. I'm not an orator, but I'm not going to do a TED talk. But, you know, children tell stories. If, if your wife says or spouse says, how was work today? You say, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. That's a story. So I think mm -hmm. they're all around us. I think if we demystify and then just say it's a way of sharing through narrative something that happened and there's a message or a lesson or a takeaway, that's a story. So I think a lot of it is to, uh, kind of realize that we are, it's, it's human and natural. People love stories and we're natural storytellers. Yeah. And, and the critical thing that you said was at the very end there. Uh, well, you said a lot of critical yeah. things, but message, lesson, takeaway. And here's yeah. the great mistake that people make when they're telling stories. They'll just drone on and on and on and on and on about whatever the story may be. And there's no message or lesson or takeaway. And so what you're describing is you pluck the stories from your own experience and your own life and put yourself into these stories and your personality and doing so will allow you as a leader or as a marketer to be known and liked and trusted. That's all good. Yeah. But the story won't resonate and won't be relevant unless the person to whom you're speaking, the coworker or the prospect sees themselves in the lesson and the takeaway. So when we talk about story and story discovery, we'll talk about this idea that first you really need to understand your prospect stories. Yeah. Where do they want to go? What are they trying to achieve? What are, what are their hopes and wishes and dreams and fears and frustrations? And then you begin to pluck those stories from your own life that can connect the dots between something that happened to you and that's entertaining and interesting and something that's meaningful to them, the meaning, the, the, the connection point. So I, I completely, pardon me, I completely agree with you how important it is. There's a book over your, what is that? Your right shoulder, um, your right shoulder. Huh. I'm looking at, and uh, that's your book. Um, that is my book, yes. Grab a copy of that book and hold that up to the camera and tell us tell us about the eye. I've heard you describe the eye in the cover of your book. Sure, we're talking about the title. The rainbow colored eye, um, what was interesting, originally I had a blue eye on the cover because my company is called Big Blue Gumball, which represents the earth, the world, the globe. And I wanted brand consistency, plus I love the color blue. But then I realized, and I don't have blue eyes, but I realized that using a blue eye was not inclusive. So when I stumble across an image of this rainbow colored eye, the rainbow represents the fact that just as no one in the world has this colored eye as no one I've ever met, no one in the world sees it, the world through the same lens that you do. 
So as a leader, as a marketer, when you say, oh, that's so obvious, or why didn't you just do this? Or how could this happen? Or why did, how did you interpret it this way? One of my mantras is that people are not mind readers, right? It's our job. The burden of communication is on the communicator. And our job is to try to see the world through the lens of other people, through our audience, through our customer, through our client. So the rainbow eye represents diversity and inclusion and also represents innovation and creativity. We need to use all the colors of the rainbow to create um, imagery and stories and metaphors that will attract people's attention and resonate with them. So that's the dual um, meaning behind the rainbow colored eye. In fact, real life example it. of people are not mind readers. I, tell, I was just telling a story to my students the, uh, recently. I once went, I was in a restaurant, I asked for some more ice for my Diet Coke and they brought me a bowl of white rice. I said <laughs> more ice, they heard more rice. Right. Uh -huh. So I needed more, more rice. More rice. I, needed, I needed more rice anyway. So it was fine. But yeah. um, but I always say, whose fault was that? I always ask my students and they always say, oh, it's the waiter's fault. He didn't listen. He didn't confirm. But it was my fault because I wasn't clear. I didn't mm -hmm. confirm. What could I have done? I might have held up my 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 soda and say, can I have some more ice and pointed at my glass? Right. That's an example of using visual gestures to communicate. Um, yeah. But that's something that we don't even think about is we always blame the other person instead of blaming ourselves. So if you want to be proactive and not blaming yourself later, always be thinking. Everyone has two, whether you're read, they're reading or listening to you, every audience or listener has two thought bubbles over their head. And it's WSIC, why should I care? And WIFM, what's in it for me? If our yeah. message is not one that is of interest to the person or will benefit the person, then we could tell the greatest story in the world, but if it's not relatable and relevant to the uh, the person, then so what? I saw a lot. I see a lot of great speakers who tell great stories, but then you say, what was the point of that, right? Exactly. So that's kind of like what you were just saying. It needs to yeah. be, you know, less is more. Keep it short and sweet. Simplicity, brevity, clarity. There's a great book yeah. called Presentation Zen by Gar Reynolds, who applies Zen principles to presenting. Mm. You know, keep it as simple as possible, make it as brief as possible, and make sure it's as clear as possible so people get your message. Otherwise, it gets lost in the clutter. Yeah, and, and you mentioned a moment ago visual gestures, and yeah. and the opening story. I think it's the opening story of your book. The foundational story for the work that you now do is all about your first journey to China and the use of visual gestures. And, and let's, let's hear that story. And then, and then we'll hear about how people can get your book and, uh, and we'll call it a day. So tell the story of, of your first journey to China and uh, <laughs> how challenging sure, it's in my book it and was. It's, and it's and it's in my TED talk. So the, the quick version, I was I was yeah. sent to China as a project manager to oversee a theme park project installation. I got there with my crew of two guys. We didn't speak Chinese. Our Chinese counterparts didn't speak any English. So we're like staring at each other, like, where do we start? And, and nor did your translator. That's the detail right. I love. Yeah, they gave it. Yeah, they, they, they assigned us the translator who spoke almost no English at all. His Spanish was probably better than his English was, and he was Chinese. Um, so um, yeah, so everything was lost in translation, to quote the Bill Murray movie. So what happened? We started using gestures, and I started drawing. So if you're watching this on video, this is some of the drawings that I did. If we needed a hammer or a tape measure, and I'm not a great artist, but you could tell what each of these is. So if I pointed to this and I said two. They knew we needed two hammers or whatever. And that's, and I said, it became a game of Pictionary and charades. It's like two words, sounds like screwdriver, right? So, but that's how we got this done through, through sketches, rough sketches and through pointing and gesturing. And 
you know, we don't realize how often we do that. If someone says, which way is the restroom? You know, do you point that way? Do you point that way? I could have pointed to my soda when I needed more ice. So the power of gesturing or picking up a pen or, or a, a marker and sketching something out is so powerful. And that was like the light bulb moment for me. And that helped me get through that, that, um, that project successfully. Yeah, I, I love the story because this is no small stakes thing this was a yeah. major yeah. project and installation of of uh, amusement park rides and, yeah. and a lot of moving pieces and engineering and so forth and the fact that you were able to pull it off uh, i can see how it was a major major light bulb moment for you how we mentioned the book we mentioned the ted talk how can people find both yeah, the best way to find reach me is um, toddchurches.com is my website, and it's C-H-E-R-C-H-E-S. Uh, I also have my company website, which is bigbluegumball.com. That's for my training and coaching, but for my book and my speaking, toddchurches.com. So my, my TED Talk is on that site. Information about my book can be found there. And uh, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I live on LinkedIn. So just say I saw, you know, you saw me on Tom's show and uh, connect with me. I'm happy to continue the conversation on LinkedIn. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and any parting, any parting thoughts, by the way, everything that you just mentioned, will have that in the show notes. Uh, so people can link directly from those. Any parting thoughts, Todd? Sure. I'll, I'll end with the final line from my TED talk, which is my favorite quote by Marcel Proust, who, 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 uh, who said that the, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new lands, but in seeing with new eyes. So I'll just leave it at that. And uh, hopefully everyone will see something with new eyes as a result of listening to this conversation today. I love it. Todd, thank you so much. Been a great, great pleasure. I'm going to continue to pay attention to everything that you're putting out there because it is just loaded with wisdom. Um, it, as I was as I was going through this conversation, I, I just kept thinking to myself, ooh, I can't wait to, uh, huh. I can't wait to hear the recording. I'm going to, I'm going to walk the dog this afternoon and listen to what Todd had to say in this, oh, in this, sure. uh, podcast. It was a great conversation. Thanks. I'm grateful, uh, for you spending some time with me and, and, uh, with my audience and, uh, our paths will cross down the road. For listening to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. If you liked what you heard today, visit storypowermarketing.com slash resources, where you can sign up for Tom's entertaining, informative, must-read emails, download free business building resources, and discover other opportunities to help you harness the power of storytelling. That's storypowermarketing.com slash resources to help you captivate prospects, inspire them to act, and grow your business with greater ease and joy. Also, please remember to subscribe to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.